The role of a chief financial officer is constantly growing and evolving. In this episode of the Privately Speaking Podcast, guest host and KPMG audit partner, Shivani Sapori, talks with Josh Green, chief financial officer at Servios, to discuss this topic further. Hello, everyone. My name is Shivani Sapori, and I'm an audit partner and KPMG's private enterprise leader in our Silicon Valley office. I'm guest hosting today's podcast of Privately Speaking, and this series features private enterprise advisors and business leaders addressing topics to help you evolve your business, embrace technology, plan for an exit, or manage wealth transition. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Josh Green, who is a CFO and Executive Vice President of Corporate Development at Servios, a high-growth virtual reality software company based out of Los Angeles. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. From what I understand, you've been in this role as a CFO for over two years now. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into your position and your background in getting here? Absolutely. I joined Servius a little under two and a half years ago. My background, I started at a law school and invested in banking, and I spent a number of years in banking, and then I moved over to the buy side doing private equity. And when I was on the buy side, I loved working with the operators of the portfolio companies. And uh, I really felt like my true calling was there. And uh, a few years ago, I reconnected with our CEO, who I'd met about a decade ago, and they were looking for a CFO. And I walked into Servios and I was blown away by what they were building, the camaraderie, the teamwork. I wanted to be in a company that was forward thinking, cutting edge. And I felt like all of that was at Servios. And lucky enough, I joined a little over two and a half years ago. And I always tell people I wake up every day excited to go to work. I love being at Servios and uh, it's made me very happy. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about how that initial change has been for you moving into the CF role, CFO role at Servios. Um, can you talk about maybe one of the biggest challenges of being a CFO and managing your team and that excitement that you're talking about that drew you to Servios? <laughs> I think the I think the biggest challenge, and I think it's in most organizations, is finding great people. And great people are it, it can be challenging to find. And when I got to Servios. I assessed the team, and it, this was my first CFO role. I had never been in a role like this. However, I had the opportunity to learn from some great leaders and mentors of mine, and the team, unfortunately, wasn't that great. And so what I ended up doing was I, I evaluated the team. I spent a little time, and lucky enough, the, the management team as well as the board was very supportive. I figured out what I needed, and I, addre and I addressed that by hiring what I felt like was the best controller I could find and somebody who would be my partner. And lucky enough, after two years, he's been an incredible uh, ally and friend of mine, and he's helped uh, grow the business alongside me. But it takes time finding the right people. And you really have to, that, I, I would say that's the biggest challenge in being successful, finding people that are like-minded, willing to to roll up their sleeves, get dirty, and do, do what's do what's not always the popular work product, but but willing to do almost everything. And so lucky enough, I've been able to do that. And why was your controller the first hire you made? Like, why was that such a focus for you? I think in this role, you really, you, you need to have a right hand and somebody who can be your partner. And 
the controller to me was the most important role that I felt like I was going to find because this is the person that's really your go-to. You're the direct report to a CEO or a COO sometimes, but you need a direct report that's extremely strong and somebody who can articulate but also develop and and manage the, the workflow below you. And so they're the main artery. And for me, it was finding somebody who had a strong accounting background. My background coming up from the finance side, being a banker and then in private equity, I didn't grow up in the audit role. I wanted to find somebody who had worked in big four, who understood and had completed audits, who had implemented an ERP system and who had that technical background. And so I needed somebody who could be my partner where I think for me, it was finding somebody who could augment my skill set. And for me, it's always finding the best and the brightest. I'm not intimidated to find somebody who's smarter than me. I always like to find the, the brightest person because it, it ultimately makes you more successful. So for me, it was finding somebody who had a strong technical background and was a, had the ability to implement an ERP system, which we put out, we, we put into place over a year ago with NetSuite. I think the number one question I get from a lot of my CFOs is how do you find the right team members? How do you go about doing your recruiting? So if you were to give some advice to folks, how did you go about finding the right hires for your team? I, you know, I, I would say it's two things. I'm lucky at my company. We have a great head of recruiting, head of HR. I value this person. And I believe they, they've done tremendous work building out our company. I think the other part is building your network and leveraging your network. And I think it, it, it really serves in all walks of life is talk to your friends who are in other roles that might be similar. Talk to your service providers. I was lucky enough to be able to talk to my service providers, whether it's your lawyers, your accountants, your implementers, build those relationships because they have referrals. They have friends that they've worked with. They're not going to give you somebody they don't believe in who hasn't worked hard for them. They're not going to put their, their reputation on the line. And for me, that was really leveraging my network. And so I've been able to find a couple people through my network because I, I've given guidance of what I'm looking for, the type of person. And then what it really comes down to is, is the personality, is that person a good fit? And for me, I, I always joke my EQ is higher than my IQ and I love watching people, interacting people. Networking is something I love to do. And so it's meeting those people, spending time. You spend more time at work with than oftentimes with your own family. So you have to have some commonality. Is this somebody that you're going to want to go grab a beer or go grab a bite with? And so for me, when I was interviewing a number of folks, I met with a lot of people and I came down to, for my, my key role, it was two people. And what really separated me from, with the individual that I hired was will that person be willing to do whatever it takes? And so that means from the most meaning, like the, the smallest job to the largest job, you have to be able to get dirty and you have to, you have to do almost everything. And, and then being in an early stage or an emerging growth company, you have to be willing to be a jack of all trades and willing to wear a number of hats. So will that person go down and do a staff accountant role for a week or two, or will they, will they plug in and will they help me at the CFO level? You have to have somebody who's willing to to wear a lot of hats and I felt like the person I hired was willing to do that and it was somebody that at the end of the day I love going out to dinner we talked about it today we're gonna we're planning to go to dinner next week together so I'm very fortunate that I have a great team around me 
Yeah, I think that's um, that's really key. And I think the other piece that you were talking about, about making sure that they're happy and you're giving them those opportunities, um, is really important in developing those types of long-term relationships with folks. Um, what types of things have you thought about in making sure you're retaining the right people as well? I mean, part of it's getting them in the door, but then it's also making sure they stick around with you. Um, you know, it's a couple things. Comp is always important, and, and that's something you have to be you have to be thoughtful about. And a, as a company, we do a lot of compensation studies, surveys. We work with comp experts. We want to make sure we're an attractive marketplace, a, an attractive company within the marketplace, because there are a lot of opportunities, especially on the finance and accounting side, and especially today. And so we have to be competitive on comp. I think the second thing is. You want people that want to be there and you don't want them coming in the door with one foot out. So it's really important you find people that really want to be at your company. And there's a lot of people out there. So you got to find the right person or the right people that want to be there. I think it's also the small things. It's taking care of your employees and doing right by them. It's it's the little things. And at the end of the day, the little things add up to being very big. And, in, and when you take care of your employees, it comes back to you in spades. And for my team, we do team dinners every two weeks. We play video games together. We're always doing some type of team building activity. I'll randomly send dinner to my employees because I just want them to know that I that I care about them, that I, I not just them, but their spouse, significant other, or their child. It's important that they know that they're valued. I think the other part is empowering them. Let them do their job, giving them the resources to do their job. I have one junior accountant who wasn't a accounting major, but she's gone back to school over the last two years. We're paying for her to go back to school and to sit for her CPA, which I think is important because at the end of the day, you have multiple jobs throughout your career. Most people, there are the lucky few that might have one job and go through, but most people have multiple jobs and you want to help them get to the next opportunity. And so for me, I look at this junior accountant and I want her to be successful. I want to set her up for success, whether it's here or at another location. And I think by having a CPA and if she wants to go become a controller and move up the ranks in accounting, it's really critically important for her. So I told her for her to go do that. And she's been, she She's thrilled about that and supporting your employees in doing that. Great. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit and talk about one of the things you mentioned when you said you joined the company, you moved your team to NetSuite. So it mm -hmm. looked like you did kind of take a look and survey the, the technology that was being used at the company. Um, how did you decide what to invest in early on and um, where to put your focus for your team? You know, I, I look at finance and accounting where I, in most organizations, you're a cost center. And so I would rather allocate the resources to the profit center because it allows us to grow as well. And so for us, I also love technology and I want to make people's lives easier. And we were on QuickBooks. QuickBooks, while it might work for some organizations, generally on the smaller side, we needed to go into a system that was much more robust. And we evaluated a couple options, and I felt like it was an important undertaking. So we allocated the resources and time to put in and implement NetSuite a little over a year and a half ago. Now we're looking at it, and, and the big thing for me is, again, it goes back to hiring people. You want, you want to hire people that have the ability to wear multiple hats and are also comfortable doing that. Because oftentimes in private companies, you will be running a smaller team leaner and so you have to be resourceful but at the same time I also love technology and being at an 
an emerging growth technology company. I love technology and utilizing technology to make our lives easier. So currently we're implementing Blackline. I'm going to be implementing Planful and we'll probably be implementing Workiva later on this year. But these are systems designed to make our lives easier, to automate more, but also put things into the cloud so it makes our life for reporting for the board meetings, for financial packages. If you're thinking about going public in a couple of years, these are things you should think about in, in the earnest of getting ready because you, you don't want to wait till the last minute. You want to prepare because all of these take time. So if they say it will take two months, plan for four. Prepare yourself, but it's also gives, giving us the resources we need to be successful at our job. How do you evaluate what are the right tools for your team? I, I'm assuming at some point along the way you might have stumbled upon some type of technology that didn't really work well. How do you evaluate those types? It's a, it's a great question. We've done that. We've gone down the path with some technology that didn't necessarily work. And sometimes you will regret it, but it's you live to see the next day. And, and mistakes are okay sometimes, but I think you, you just keep going forward. You, you don't make decisions in a vacuum. I think that's one thing. You can't make decisions in a vacuum. You need to Count, you need to seek outside advice as well as inside advice. Talk to other people. Do demos. Look at software. Not everybody, not everything is a one-size-fits-all. What works for my company may not work for another company. So you have to be very aware of what your business is because NetSuite might not be the best ERP. It could be Sage Intact. It could be, you know, whether it could be Adaptive or Anaplan. You have, and, and then there's also weighing the, the balancing the, the cost side of it. Um, some are more suited for larger enterprises. Some are more, more suited for smaller enterprises. So when you evaluate, you I, I wouldn't make it make it your decision and bring in your team, let them evaluate it, talk to implementers, look at a few different options, and then build a case of what makes most sense for your company. I love that you think about automation early on in a business because I think one of the things that I end up finding as I work with companies is when they wait too long to implement systems, it's even a heavier lift and more costly to get everything moved over and in the right um, space for you. Sometimes you have to take a step back to take two steps forward. And, I, and I'm lucky in my organization where I have a, a very, um, a great CEO and a COO who are pro of what we're doing. And when we make the business case and we lay out the reasons why it makes sense, because I think you have, when you, when you look at your organization, you have to have a multi-pronged approach. You can't just look at it three months out. You have to have multi-layers. I look at my business, what it's going to look like in six months, what is it going to look like in a year, and what is it going to look like in two years? And then I also look at it in a, a lens with, what type of capital raise are we going to do? We're a private enterprise. We've raised four rounds of financing. What, what will be the next stage of growth? Would it be a public offering? Would it be a SPAC? Would it be a private growth round? So I think you have to incorporate all those into what decisions you make now. And, and as you said, it's we're trying to front load a lot of this as much as we can within the, the, the team size that we have to where we can continue operating but that we can continue growing as well as an organization. Now, you mentioned that you, um, you know, you had a good relationship with your CEO. It sounded like you knew him before you joined the company. And um, he's also part of some of these decisions that you're, you're making as well. Um, I would say the number one relationship in the organization is between the CFO and the CEO as the company's mm -hmm. growing. How did you establish that relationship and maintain it with your, uh, with your CEO? 
communication, being trustworthy, um, being honest. And, you know, and I think it really comes back to communication. Not everything works. Not everything that you want to do makes the most sense. So you all, in a lot of early stage companies, you have to pivot, pivot, but you have to be, you have to be introspective enough to know when sometimes things don't work and you have to just, you have to sometimes cut bait, but being honest and having a good relationship with your CEO is critically important. And I think that comes back to communication. I over communicate, over communication is critically important because they always know because their job is to be the leader of the, the, the captain of the ship. But if you over communicate, they're always going to know. And so my controller over communicates with me because he's my direct report. So I know all facets of what's going on in accounting. And I think that's just critically important. And then being trustworthy, living up to your word. Your word, your word is your bond and reputation is, is the most important thing. So what you say you're going to do and try to accomplish the things you put forward. When you say over communicate, how much, what do you mean by that? Is it, you know, a couple times a day you're talking to them, once a week you're talking to them? Like, what would you consider over communication? I would say I might be. I have a very good relationship with my CEO, so we talk, I would say, five or six times a day. But part of that, part and parcel of that really comes back to the role that I sit in. I would, I'm what you would consider more of a strategic CFO than a pure accounting CFO, just given my background. So I interface with a lot of our investors as well as our, CEO, our CEO, as well as from the strategy side. So a lot of what we're talking about really is not about the finance and accounting department, but it's more about strategy. It's where are we positioning our company? How are we thinking about the next round or the next financing opportunity? What investors should we talk to? How are we positioning our company within the, the capital markets? So a lot of that really is a, the evolution of really the type of role that I sit in within our company as being more on the strategic side. You know, you bring up your investors and I assume the board too. Um, how did you build a relationship with uh, your board members and your investors over time? The funny thing is, is I met our one of our board members before I joined the, the the organization, and we built a relationship because I also I think you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. You, in a role as a CFO, you're critically important to the company, and this isn't a fly by the seat of your pants role. The board has to be comfortable with you. Management has it's, it's a it's a big role. So building those relationships, and for me, I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me because I wanted to make sure that they understood. I, I understood what their vision of the business was, what management's vision of the business was, because sometimes that doesn't always align. And where is my vision of the business, and how do I intersect and work with both of them? And so over time, we built great relationships. Part of that has been. You, I I manage all the board material, so I present a lot at the board. So I built relationships also within the finance side. I report the numbers. I keep them in constant communication of where the, the business is tracking to. I respond to their auditors and accountants with items that they need. So it's a you know I, I wouldn't say I talk to them weekly, but definitely probably once or twice a month, I do talk to board members. And and over time, you know, they figure out your background, what your objectives are within the business. And it's funny, the one of the first things I said at our, the first board meeting that I was at was, I'm taking a hard look at costs. Things have to have an ROI. They have to have a positive ROI. You can't just hire to hire. There has to be a reason. And there has to be a reason why you undertake 
doing some type of software or some type of pivot within the business. The first thing I said was I'm taking a hard look at costs. And they're like, it's okay, just spend your early stage company. Don't don't turn off the spigot. I was like, I'm okay with keeping the spigot on, but you have to make a business case of why it makes sense. You can't just spend because I have a fiduciary duty to you as well as the other investors in the in the company to make sure that we're putting money in things that we firmly stand behind and that we put the time and resources around to making that business case of why it makes sense to do that. So, and they appreciated that. And over the last two, probably I think it's eight to 10 board meetings, we've talked about all those spending restraints that I put in and where we've saved, why we saved and how we've utilized that to grow our business. I think that's probably a really good segue into the next topic that um, I think I get from most of my CFOs as well, it's fundraising and how to determine what the right amount is and when to raise. And, um, you know, you've had a lot of experience between being an investment banker and in your role with uh, strategy at Servios. What kind of advice would you give to other CFOs that are uh, working with private companies on how to fundraise and really how much to fundraise? So let's break it down. How much? Always raise a little bit more than you need. Always plan for the unforeseen. A year and a half ago, we didn't know about COVID. And then it, it sprung upon us and we're all working from home. And now our lives have changed. I think in many of us, we're busier than we've ever been because now we can talk to investors you know, from eight in the morning to eight at night till you turn blue in the face out every hour upon the hour before you would have to drive to their office or you would fly to meet them. You have... So... Raise a little bit more money. Always prepare for the unforeseen that you just don't know that would come up because a lot of early stage companies, you do have to pivot a little bit or you may need to hire up for certain roles or you may need to augment your talent. So just always be mindful of that. How I think about our business, again, it's I plan out in a cadence of what does our business look like six, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. And when I think about where we're going, I build a financial model and I look at where our for us, most of our spend is human capital. It's people. We build software. So I look at and I interface and I talk with the studio of the hiring ramp of based upon our production cycle, the types of gains and how big how big those teams need to be. And so I layer that into the model. And then I figure out what our what we will need to raise based upon the, the release of our games. But I think for anybody raising money, the first thing you should always do is build your financial model have multiple cases. You should have a base case. You should have a stretch case, an equity case. Have a downside case. Make sure you definitely always try to raise enough so if the downside does happen, you're prepared and you can make it through and you can fight to the next day because that's the most important thing is that you have enough capital to get to the next day. In terms of dealing with investors, I love raising capital, but you know, no investors alike. You have to be thoughtful do your research on the investors. Every investor prices risk differently. So what they think might be the determining factor to make or break an investment might be very different from the next individual. So do your research on the investors. Every investor thinks differently too. Um, you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs to find the prince or princess. Some of the, the most amazing companies have gone through hundreds of VCs and hundreds of investors before they find the they found the right person. And there's always the right person out there. You just got to find. So you got to hunt. And it's and it's um, there's a lot of competition out there fighting for the same dollar. So you have to prepare, prepare great materials. Don't 
what I would say is work with sometimes bringing outside vendors who can help you. You know, one of the things we do at a company, we do test runs. We we drive practice. We we bring in outside people to 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 sample our, our pitch. So we do test runs, test runs with our, our message, our story. We want to get feedback, solicit feedback. Everybody's going to have different things to say, but then again, at the end of the day, trust your judgment and trust your gut. And, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of work, but it, it's uh, when you, when you find the right investor and the right firm that wants to, to go to the dance with you, it's uh, pretty rewarding. I like how you made that, uh, that comparison to going to a dance. It is a, it's a relationship that you're building along with these folks and they're with you for a long time. Exactly. Our, our investors have been with us for years, many of them. We brought in some new ones and you really, at the end of the day, I think one of the most important roles is be great, network and build relationships. Relationship building is critically important. You're able to solicit a lot of great info by building strong relationships that can help your business. But your investor, you're going into a marriage because they're trusting you with capital. And you have to be a fiduciary to that capital. So you have to be thoughtful and you have to be, and, and they want to, they want to believe in you as much as you believe in them, but they want to believe in you that you can execute and deliver what you, you've set out to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times about making sure you have a strong network. I've got to imagine that when you moved into your CFO role, you probably didn't know a lot of other CFOs. How did you think through building out your network and how did you grow your own personal network to get those resources? I think, and it's a great question, I still do it to this day. When you go into a role, you probably already have a law firm that you're working with. You probably have an accounting firm that you're working with. You probably have vendors that you've worked with. Talk to them. They're the greatest resource to finding talent. They're the greatest resource to also learn about other businesses because they're working with a variety of companies. You have a number of clients. My client is my company, but also my board. But you, Shabani, have probably a number of businesses and enterprises that you work with. So you see best practices. Learning best practices are, are tough if you don't come into that role knowing. So I've been I've been very fortunate to leverage our service providers, both our law firms, our accounting firms, and then some of the investment banks as well, for what are best practices. And then I comp myself to what are best practices for companies at my size, my stage, my industry? Because you got to break it down. You got to peel the, the onion back a little bit. But I think utilizing your network is critically important. There are a lot of things I didn't know coming into this role. And there are still things I don't know. I try to learn a little bit something new every day. But I think the most important thing is if you're able to build a strong network and you feel good about your relationships, go ask questions. There, there's no harm, no foul. Like if you don't ask, it's only on you that you've made that mistake. There, there, no question is too small or too big. And I've been lucky enough. I, and I, I knock on wood because we have great relationships with our service providers who have been instrumental in helping our growth just as much as some of the stuff we've done internally. They brought great talent, great ideas, great resources, um, technology thoughts of what might make sense. And so I think it's really important you uh, talk to those folks. I would definitely echo that. I actually love it when my clients reach out to me and ask me for references or introductions to different folks because um, I find it's the best way to build my relationship with my clients, but also to give them the chance to meet other people in the industry. And a lot of the times your service providers don't have a lot of information on operations of a business. Mm -hmm. Like we can give you best practices, but we haven't been in the weeds with it. And so it's helpful to 
pass along those intros to other folks. Absolutely. And a CFO, in terms of management, they have the shortest span at a company generally in terms of management. And so a lot of CFOs will be at different companies and or you'll grow into them. And so having learning best practices is critically important. And you're going to be working with a lot of service providers. Again, they may actually refer you into a job um, through a company that they're working with that may need somebody with your your technical skill set or strategic advice. So it, it's, it's critically important to build those relationships. I, I talk to our service providers, if not weekly, every other week. Moving on to, I want to talk a little bit about the virtual reality in your space specifically. Now, VR is extraordinarily cutting edge, and there's been a lot of ups and downs with it, and I'm sure with COVID, too, there's just been a lot of changes. Um, How do you balance being at a company that's on the cutting edge of technology and balancing expectations from the investors and your internal team when you might be facing some ups and downs? That's tricky. You got to get, I I would say, it's a tricky one. VR has had... Five years ago was the hottest thing. Oculus gets bought by Facebook for billions of dollars. And there are all these companies that are raising money. And then it sort of fell out. You had the trough of disillusionment. And now you're seeing it come back. And and it's been a challenge because... VR is a new industry within gaming. It's a, Essentially, it's a new platform. It's not new games. The way you interact in the gaming is slightly different, but it's a new platform is how I look at it. And what's happened with that platform is when VR first came out, it was people thought it was the most cutting edge thing because it was new, it was novel. The hardware was prohibitively expensive for the, the common individual, the, the main street person. Um, you had to be a real gaming enthusiast because of the cost. Also, the quality of the content wasn't there because it was new and people were trying to figure out marrying the content with the hardware. But it was tough. So you didn't have a, a wide, a massive adoption. But over the last two years, you've seen a lot more adoption. I think we're really on that upward trajectory because what's really happened and it's made it, it's really made it mainstream is the cost of the, the quality and the cost of the hardware is now affordable to the masses. Before it was $3,000, you had to draw optical units into your wall, have a headset, and the content just wasn't that great. But in the last couple of years, the hardware has gotten so much better that now the content is getting better as well. And those are marrying. And given that price point, it makes it affordable to, I'm not saying it's cheap to get a $300 headset, but it's much more affordable when you think consoles are four or $500. More people can access that. And right now we have an install base of 10 to 11 million. And conversely, you have an install base of north of 300 million consoles. So it still has a long way to go. But it's growing, and we see a lot of that, the excitement, baseball, NBA, football, there's advertising for VR constantly now, and people are asking us all the time, so I'm really excited. But when you marry an industry that has some downward pressure because of costs, you have to recalibrate, and you have to think about looking at where is that industry going, and do you need to pivot? And for us, our pivot was, we we pivoted, I would say, one major pivot, and we've forked on the other pivot. The major pivot was we were originally making hardware. We were making hardware. Oculus gets bought, gets bought. Our bomb costs are prohibitively expensive. And without a big balance sheet being like a Foxconn, a Samsung, or an Apple, it's tough to make hardware. So we pivoted to software when our CEO came in. And that's really been the, the saving grace for our business because we're the largest independent VR studio. And we have a tremendous um, track record in that 
arena. Now we forked and we don't just make VR. We now do cross platform. So we have two games coming out on console. So our games are going to be on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox X, Xbox X, Xbox One, as well as PC. So not only do we make VR, we're making console games. So that's the fork that we made. And so now we're a full cross platform game company. That's great. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Servios does in the upcoming years. It sounds like you're really hitting your stride. We have, we have two games coming out this year, and uh, we're really excited. One of our games is a long-storied Match 3 franchise called Puzzle Bobble. Um, Puzzle Bobble's been around for 35 years. Um, it's a Japanese uh, title owned by Tato, which we're releasing in VR, and it's going to be actually a full cross-platform game. It's going to be an Oculus, PlayStation, PlayStation VR, and then we're doing another game, our boxing game, which will be Creed Big Rumble Boxing. It's the first boxing game, coincidentally, that's been released in over 3,800 days on console. So we're really excited about that. Um, so, And that's going to be on console. And so we have a game, a boxing game in VR, and now we're going to have one in console. And that's really what we're growing to. All of our games going forward will be full cross-platform that you can play on any device, anywhere with anybody. Great. Well, um, last question for you for the day. If you had to give yourself some advice looking back two years ago when you started in your job as the CFO of Servios, um, what, if anything, would you have told yourself back then? You know, take every day um, as it is. Nothing can't be corrected. You you have to think for the long term. And people, I, I would say for me, I've learned that, you know, you're going to make mistakes along the way. And that's okay. Try to correct those mistakes fast. Fix them. And there's always time to do that. Hire great people. Don't be intimidated by hiring smarter people. They only make you better. And for me, I love being at my company. I love going there every day. And so I'm blessed. I, I love the people I'm around. And I, the last two and a half years have been nothing short of amazing. And even despite what's gone on outside of the, the rest of the world, we we put our head down. We've implemented some great systems. We've brought along great people. And I'm really excited about where we're going as a company. Great. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for your time today. I really enjoyed the conversation with you. Thank you so much. I, I love uh, doing this. This was my first podcast. <laughs> well, I think you did a great job. Thanks for the time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to KPMG's Privately Speaking podcast. And we look forward to having you at the next episode. Thank you for listening to KPMG's Privately Speaking podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the series to be notified of new episodes.